Stats fans, and welcome to the first on the Stat episode of the year. 2023 has come and gone, and being the gluttons for punishment that we are, we're devouring all the preseason news as our anticipation for season 2024 grows. I'm Jonathan Walsh, and as always, I'm joined in the Don the Stat studio by Ian Hume. Hume, happy new year, mate. How's things? Happy New Year to you too, Jono. Things are going well, just winding down the school holidays and been spending some quality time with the family. So no complaints here. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Yeah, I've been back at work for a couple of weeks now. I had three weeks off though, which was, yeah, really nice just to put the feet up and did a lot of uh, of reading and and watch some some footy and a bit of archive tape and stuff like that. And um, yeah, just spent a couple of days fresh up on the Gold Coast with my brother, his wife and um, and my nephews. So it was good to see them. Haven't seen them since uh, sort of halfway through last year. So despite the uh, Queensland humidity and and braving that, it was, uh, yeah, really good to see them, mate. But uh, yeah, we're not far away from some footy now, so looking forward to getting back into that. Absolutely. Look, I, I expect we're going to be a bit rusty tonight, given it's been almost two months since we last recorded a podcast, but looking to get back into it with, as the excitement for a, a new season starts to build. And for once, maybe an Essendon off-season has been fairly quiet. Uh, you know, in many ways, that's a good thing. It, it really seems like the club is keeping its head down and working hard to try and fix the ongoing issues that have plagued it for so long and, and fingers crossed they're able to do that. Yeah, there does seem to be a bit more focus on, you know, just head down, bum up, doesn't it, and, and focus on the work. I think one of the downsides of being a big club is that we create headlines and social media fodder in particular. So there's, there's still plenty of you know, disingenuous and sensationalised headlines. But I think for the most part, you know, at least from the outside looking in, it, it seemed that there's just, it's been a really, yeah, strong and focused pre-season thus far. So I know a friend of the show and an avid uh, training watcher, Rick Edwards, is joining us next week. So I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about what's actually happening on the track uh, when he joins us. Yeah, really looking forward to that. Uh, look, there has been one major blemish for the off-season that has been the ACL injury received by Jaden Hunter. Uh, obviously, an ACL injury at any time is, is really unfortunate. It, it wipes out your, your whole year. But to happen to a, a young player, particularly one that, that's come off uh, the injuries, had the preseason and the injuries he had before getting drafted, just when he looks set to try and establish himself, it, it's really, uh, it'd be obviously really frustrating for him and, you know, again, a big setback for someone that maybe we, we thought could have really pushed for an AFL spot this coming year. Yeah, it, it's a real shame for him. It sounds like he was having a, a really good preseason and it's his second ACL now. Uh, we were yeah building some real competition for for those spots. If we assume that Wright and, and Langford have got some, you know, sort of taller forward positions locked in, then, you know, we really had Hunter Jones and Caddy all vying for that third tall position uh he's no stranger to rehab it sounds like he's a pretty professional guy so i'm sure he'll come back bigger and better from it yeah i I did just see that he posted on instagram and spoke about what you just sort of touched on there that he's really focused and and trying to get back and i think the fact that he was kept on last year you know even though he didn't play and he only had that six month contract suggests that he was really committed to his rehab last year so again i would expect expect that would be the same going into this year and, and dealing with the acl I guess now that we have a long-term injury, there is the possibility of bringing in a supplementary player to fill in the space. So he, he will obviously go onto the long-term injury list and that means there's potential for for a spot there. It's, it's very late in the piece to be looking at doing this. Most other clubs that have supplementary spots available have had players training with them for a long period of time at this point and have a fair idea of, of what they're looking for. 
So therefore, a lot of the the talent that may be out there is already sort of linked to a club. There is it. Do you think it's something we're going to look to get some players to to train in the coming weeks to see if they can pick up a Southern entry spot, or do you think it, we we hold out until maybe looking at the options in the mid season draft? I think the the thing that's a little bit different for us this time around, and and you know compared to when we added Nick Martin and Wanganeen to the list, and and some of the other clubs that have got train on players with them, is is they or, or Essendon back at, at that stage had list spots still available on their list, whereas we do have a, a full list. So our list management team would, would need to have a bit of a view on what next year looks like, how many list spots we might need to free up for the draft. You know, you have to take, you know, three selections or rookie promotions in, in the national draft. Uh, and, uh, you know, for and then also what we may want to do in terms of potential free agents and, and, and trades before we go about you know, adding an additional player to the list. So it's not just a a right now decision because we'll effectively finish the year with an extra player on our list and and, and that could have consequences down the track on, on how we go about our our list build going forward. So, mate, I, I think unless someone in our VFL squad or, or someone that we had our eye on through the recent draft or, or sort of delisted free agency period has slipped through and is available that we think might fill a specific lead, uh, a, a specific need, I think it's quite possible that we don't do anything at all, neither as a SSP or in the mid-season draft, and, and that we just carry the, um, you know, the unfortunate situation of being one short for for this year. Yeah, I, that, that's a pretty reasonable position there. But I think if you know, devil's advocate, if we did look to bring in another player this year, uh, whether it's in pre-season or in the mid-season draft, do you think there's a particular type of player they would want to look for? Obviously, Jane Hunter is is one of those tall forward options. So would we look at filling that spot or do you think there'd be other positions on the ground that you'd look to fill in for, for depth or, or try to find another player to fill those roles? Yeah, we went through the the list depth exercise after the draft, didn't we? And, and at the time there were, there were well, and nothing's obviously changed because because it was based on our completed list. There were two areas that we we felt we probably lacked depth in and they, they were medium forwards and, and those sort of bigger inside mids. I think a lot of that, though, depends on how we plan to use Stringer and Perkins. They both, uh, you know, from from reports, um, you know, from from those who are at training, uh, and you've been down it yourself a couple of times. That Stringer and Perkins have both been used a bit more as a as a midfielder in the match simulation. So, you know, if they were to to be set for more midfield time, then our inside mid requirements kind of lessen, uh, but our medium forwards requirements increase uh, because it's taking them away from that part of the ground. So I think, yeah, it, uh, there's, there's, there would be a, li- a little bit to consider, um, but, you know, perhaps it opens an opportunity for someone like Jackson Hately on our VFL list. He, he spent time with, with both GWS and, um, and Adelaide more recently and, and you know, is a tall mid and, and he's someone that we know quite well having, you know, done the preseason with us now. So, yeah, look, I, I think they're the parts of the ground that we would be looking at. Um, and, you know, touch wood, we don't cop another long-term injury, but the mid-season draft may, again, change our thinking if uh, depending where we're positioned on the ladder and, and what requirements we might have to finish the year if there was, was to be another injury or two. Yeah, well... In another situation, we need to touch a lot more wood because anything can happen. But other than Hunter, it does seem like our young tools in particular are finally getting a decent run at it injury-wise. So players like Reed, like Cox, uh, Jones seem to be participating in, in most, if not all, of preseason. And that's not something you could say over the past couple of years. And hopefully, 
with those players coming on, we finally have some really good competition for spots and if we can get some more AFL or even just getting VFL games into some of these players because they just haven't played uh, any football at any level, um, that's going to be really crucial for success going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, so much of, of what we do in 2024 and beyond really does depend on having a healthy list, doesn't it? And you're right, we, we haven't had a great track record of that. Things seem in reasonable shape at the moment. It's not quite as easy picking a side for round one right now as it was, you know, this time last year. I think there's there's a lot more competition, for you know, across the ground, really, in, in, in a lot of positions. So, uh, yeah, getting getting the, the best team or the most talented 22 or 23 versus getting the best balanced team to play uh, against an, an opponent and, and play a, a, the type of footy that we want to play. Structurally, I, I think, um, yeah, it is going to be something that the coaches are, are going to need to think through because our, our best six forwards, as an example, in terms of talent, isn't necessarily a well-structured forward line. So, yeah, I think all things being equal and, and our, our list stays healthy, we're going to have some good players playing VFL and, and nothing propels improved standards like having genuine competition for spots. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun putting together those best 23s because I think last year we, we were fairly similar with how they looked and with so many more options potentially for, for round one this year. When we do that exercise in a couple of weeks, we might have a lot more differences to discuss than we than we did last year. Speaking of constructing a best 23, we're starting to see some potential positional moves for certain players and probably the most noticeable one to come out is, is potentially Nick Martin moving his way to, to half back. It, it's not a move many saw coming given how good he's been in, in a wing and, and forward of centre. Uh, if he was going to make any move, both you and I have spoken about using him in the centre square. When you first you know started to see the talk of, of Nick Martin playing that sort of half back distributor role, uh, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I, I'm not reading a lot into it just yet until we see what happens in, in round one. I, I think even you know, what we see in the practice matches won't necessarily be a full-blown audition for what we're going to see come home and away. And this time of year, we really don't know what the thinking is, whether it is a genuine positional or role change, whether it's just situational training that they're trying to embed now uh, and and see that become habit because they're confident that, you know, Nick Martin as a wingman or, or Nick Martin as a half forward is something that he's already well adept at or or whether it's just part of a potential rotation and, and we're going to see him move through the wing and then rotate, you know, back. Um, and, and again, no, we know what he can do on the wing. So so building that that rhythm as a, as a defender into his game or it might just be trying to evolve his defensive skills because they felt that that's been lacking as well. So, the, yeah, the, 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 there could be any number of reasons behind it. We know... Langford trained as a defender last year because our coaches felt that we lacked some height and class down back. We, we've obviously fixed the height gap by bringing in Ben McKay and fingers crossed a, a, a fit Zach Reed. So we're going to have you know plenty of height back there if we, again, keep our list healthy. Martin certainly adds class that we've lacked down there uh, and, and ticks that box for us. I'd rather him you know sort of move into the middle of the ground and get more of the ball in the forward half of the ground than the back half of the ground. But there's still nothing stopping him from doing that in the half, you know, from half back in the same way that, you know, say Nick Dacos did for Collingwood. If the rest of our defensive system stacks up to support it, he's getting the cover that he needs to be more offensive from back there. And also if we're, we become a team that starts winning the ball back off the opposition further up the ground than we have, you know, over the last, uh, you know, few years, then 
he's almost going to play as a as a wingman or a midfielder anyway, albeit a starting position for halfback. So, look, I think there's still a little bit of water under the bridge to see how that all plays out. Yeah. You, you mentioned Langford starting as a, as a back last year. I, I kind of forgot about that given how well he did as a forward. But I, I do, once he did mention that, I do recall that early on last year when he was sort of spending time down the back, he was rated one of the best kicks, if not the best kick in the AFL early in the season. And, you know, being able to transition the ball was a real problem towards the end of last year. And, you know, having a player of, of Martin's class in the back line, you know, could help break open zones. Uh, you mentioned I have been to training a, a couple of times, not not for any of the, the match sim, but I have seen some drills where, you know, players that you, you otherwise wouldn't expect to be, you know, practicing backline stuff. So your Martins, your Archie Perkins have been used to try and move the ball out and, and they've been pretty aggressive with their kicking, trying to open up the the center uh, of the ground to try and move the ball a bit quicker. So again, I think in, in training, you probably play a lot more roles in training than, than you do on, on game day, but it is interesting to see that, that sort of thing being explored there. Uh, the other one that, that's popped up a little in the last couple of uh, weeks from from training watches is that Sam Durham is playing a lot more inside midfielder. Um, you know, if, if Martin does move to halfback, you would expect that Durham is locked on a wing, but it is an interesting thought. Is it just about upskilling a young player like Durham or do, or do you think there's something more to it where he may actually play a role in that area? Yeah, I, look, I think he could. And, you know, I think arguably has with the anyway with the way that we've used our wingers over, over- you know, season 2023. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think it's probably just upskilling again, situational training. Uh, he's a player that can have an impact in a short space of time. We know he's got a, a really strong fitness base behind him now. He's, he's, he's done really well with his, um, with his time trials and, and, and by all reports, again, he's, he's really running on top of the ground at, at training. So look, I, I think a lot of it is, is more than likely just being, you know, expanding his fitness even further by getting him exposed to to more contests and more midfield work, uh, situational training. He did an interview last week where he mentioned that, uh, you know, part of the thinking is that, you know, you know late in games, he could come go into the midfield and have an impact there. So uh, it, it may just be, you know, part of that as well and, and making sure that he's ready for all things. He is a player that can be really flexible for us, I think, given his attributes. So, uh, you know, I, again, I don't expect, and, and even by his own ambition, he said he expects to spend a lot of time on on the wing anyway. So uh, we, we aren't blessed for a lot of wing depth uh, at the moment. So I, I still think he'd be playing most of his footy there. Probably the final thing and, and, the one thing that's got Essendon fans really excited this offseason has been what we've seen from our first round draft pick from last year in Nate Caddy. I, th- I think my watches of the mark he took at training, uh, both the Essendon video they put out as well as Rick's video that, that he put out is, is probably in the triple digits by now. And the talk from both the club and training watches has been hugely positive on, on just how much he's really acclimatised to the the club and the expectations so far. And we don't want to spend too much time on him this week because we're going to focus a lot on what's happening at training with Rick next week. Um, but so far, he seems to be showing why we were willing to trade up in the draft to secure him. Yeah, there's certainly been a lot of hype around him, man, hasn't there? And and he's clearly an exciting player. Uh, and look, I, I, I don't want to be a, a bit of a wowser on this one, but I think we just need to remember and temper things a little bit. Remember how difficult the demands of playing as an AFL key forward are. You know, he's a he, we've traded up to get him, you know, for what he's going to be able to do for us in, you know, four, five, six uh, and 
10 years time you know he's a he's hopefully a 12 to 15 year investment for us and for all of his exciting attributes uh and and what we've seen at training and, and that great mark and and you know the reports on his work rate and and size and everything else there's a, such a huge step from doing that in in January to being able to display that at an AFL level on a consistent basis, playing against you know seasoned body defenders in a in you know the intensity of a highly competitive AFL game, and it's going to take him some some time to be able to do that. Charlie Kerno is a player that he often gets compared to because of those physical attributes. Kerno played six games in his first season. He then played twenty one in his second season. And it wasn't until his third season where he averaged a goal or more a game, which, you know, is kind of the pass mark really for a key forward. I would think, you know, you'd want your your primary key forwards to, to be scoring, you know, but somewhere between one and two goals a game, um, depending on your, your forward mix. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we still just need to, to acknowledge that he's got a long, long way to go. And if we get six to eight games out of him at AFL level this year, then I, I think that's a great step forward in his development. And and if he can then play the rest of the season in the VFL and 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 you know show his wares there and develop and grow without the hype and the pressure of of being a um you know uh, in the spotlight week in, week out, then I think it'll be a really good outcome for us. I mean even Buddy, you know, the the best modern day forward at kicked 20 goals or, or 21 goals in his first year. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big ask, mate. I don't think we need to rush him. Yeah. Well, look, if he keeps taking speckies like that at training, I think it'd be hard to contain the hype. But as you say, you know, talls need to give them time. And, you know, if, if he's not, you know, starring from round one, that's not a big deal. We've got plenty of time. We've got him for hopefully over 10 years. And if he builds into it what we expect him to be, we're, we're going to be pretty lucky. Yeah, no spot on, mate. Well said. Yeah. Well, as, as I mentioned at the top, it, it's almost two months since we record an episode, but we've been keeping uh, the flame alive uh, in different platforms. Uh, firstly, I was lucky enough to be invited by Rob from the Sash to join him for a game of Tenable pre-Christmas. Uh, it's where we tested our Essendon footy knowledge against each other. Uh, it was a very fun experience for me. I've, I've been a Sash listener uh, for years now, and um, the actual competition between us ended in a very tight finish. So if you haven't listened to it yet, you can find it on the Sasha's podcast feed, or there's a, a video version available on YouTube with some pretty spiffy graphics if you prefer that. Um, so there'll be links to that in the description of this episode if you haven't seen it already. Yeah, that was good fun, mate. I enjoyed watching that. It was a, it was a good laugh. And uh, thankfully for our sake, you were able to get the win on the board. Oh, you spoiled it now. Now people won't want to go and, and listen to it. Secondly, uh, something that's been happening over the past couple of months is you've been running your countdown to round one series where each day you've been posting one bomber stat that lines up with the days until round one. So for example, today uh, that we're recording is is 52 days until our round one match and uh, 52 lines up with Fitzroy's score in the last game the Bombers ever played against them back in 1996. So that's the connection there. It's, It's been a really great way to explore some, some bombing history, particularly with regards to some players and events most haven't heard about. Um, and from a personal standpoint, it's been a really fun thing to to research. Uh, what's been some of your highlights out of it? Yeah, it has been a, a lot of fun, mate. Uh, my favourite was probably Christmas Day. It, uh, Christmas Day was 82 days until our round one game. And, and when I dug into it, I discovered we have six players who were born on Christmas Day. William Luff, uh, who played for us between 1934 and 1940, had played the most games out of the six, and and that just so happened to be 82 games. So that was a, a nice sort of serendipitous uh, lineup there. 
And then there's also been a, a nice couple of little drive-bys to North Melbourne that have, uh, you know, have upset a couple of North fans along the way, which is always good fun. Uh, admittedly, they're not that hard to upset. Uh, we also upset a whole bunch of our own fans by featuring Connor McKenna on one day, which was uh, which was interesting. That that went down like a lead balloon, um, completely unexpected. Uh, but yeah, I think digging back into the history has, has been the best part and, and learning about some of the players who, you know, I either hadn't heard of or, or maybe had only heard of in passing and, and, you know, reading a little bit more about them and, and, um, and understanding their contribution to, to the footy club that we know and love. Players like, you know, Fred Hiskins, who was our leading goal kicker in our 1901 Premiership side. Harold Lambert, who played just the 99 games, but was number 25 in the Champions of Essendon and, and must have been a hell of a player. Played in those, you know, 46, 49 and 1950 flags. And and Greg Stockdale was the, was the other one who, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed reading about as well. He set the league goal kicking record with 68 goals in 1923, which was uh, also a Premiership year. So, yeah, th- those sort of historical ones have been a lot of fun to learn about. Yeah, there was another one came up a couple of days ago with with Greg Tate, who had the best uh, winning record of any Essendon player that played 50 games. But unfortunately for him, missed uh, those 49 and 50 grand finals with injury. He he came up a couple of days ago and uh, it was quite funny on, on Facebook. His uh, grandson uh, pointed out that the, the photo that we'd used wasn't actually Greg. Um, so a bit of a bit of a snafu on, on our part there. But Again, th- those things that, that we're learning is really cool. Um, want to give a shout out to Stuart from Queensland, uh, who won our competition to suggest uh, what would it appear for number sixty. Uh, he came up with a cracker about Ron Evans in in nineteen sixty, which was a season where we also faced Hawthorne in in round one. So that worked out pretty well. As I said, it's been a lot of fun researching these, and some great ones uh, coming up that I'm looking forward to seeing the reaction. There's there's one related to the Danaher brothers um, in a couple of days, and then in Close towards the finish, there's, there's one about Mark Bolton that I'm, I'm particularly enjoyed putting together there. Yeah, and there's a nice little drive-by for David King coming as well, which I'm also looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure we'll, t- we'll tag him on Twitter and see if we get a reaction there. Um, as you can tell, we're, we're amused by small things sometimes. Um, as you can probably tell, there's, there's a variety of ways to follow the countdown. If, if you haven't done so already, uh, you can find each post uh, daily on Jono's Twitter. Um, you can also find it on the Donnerstat Facebook page. Uh, they've also been posted daily uh, in the Donnerstat Bomber Blitz thread and on the Essendon subreddit, um, particularly on those last two. Uh, thanks to everyone who's uh, engaged with them. There's been some great comments uh, come out of those forums there. And uh, they're just, they're both uh, really good, uh, you know, collections of Essendon fans that, you know, are passionate about the club like we are. The other ongoing thing that's been happening in the off season is the best performance tournament. So at the beginning of 2023, I ran a best Essendon win since 1990 tournament uh, with 32 games that was uh, nominated uh, since 1990, um, which ended up unsurprisingly with the 2001 comeback game against North Melbourne being voted the best non-finals win since that date. Uh, So I've I've done the same thing this year uh, through January, but this time it's focused on the best individual performance since 1990. So it's been running for the whole month of January uh, and we're now down to the final eight, which are uh, James Hurd, uh, round three, 2004 against West Coast, the one where he he kicks the winning goal and and hugs the fan. Uh, Darren Buick in the round seven, 1996 game against Geelong, the centenary game. Uh, Joey Mercedes in the 2000 qualifying final against North Melbourne. Uh, Matthew Lloyd, round three, 1999 against Sydney, where he kicked 13 goals. Uh, Gary Moorcroft, uh, his mark of the year 
game in 2001 against the Western Bulldogs. Uh, Paul Salmon's uh, game where he kicked 10 to Ablett's 14 in 1993 against Geelong, and, and that was actually a really close one. That just pipped uh, Jason Johnson's effort in that 2001 comeback game. Uh, there's only a couple of votes in that. Uh, Michael Long's 1993 grand final Norm Smith performance against Carlton and then uh, Joe Watson uh, round 14-2013 against West Coast where he was booed mercilessly but but he really stuck to it and, and got us over the line there. Um, lots of great performances there. Do you have any standout memories of, of those games? Yeah, you've done a great job with this, mate. Um, again, a lot of research and, and a lot of great feedback and nominations from you know listeners and, and Don's fans on Twitter, which has been awesome. It's, it's definitely brought back a lot of great memories. I think, yeah, each one of them is a, a really great story. Obviously, you know, heard coming off the you know the back of a week where he was in the spotlight for his comments on it was on the footy show, wasn't it, where he he got stuck into the umpires and got a, a big fine for. For his woes there, um, Darren Buick coming back from that ACL injury after a year out and just dominating that. That was the centenary celebration game in, in 1996 and um, also on a night where, sadly, Michael Long did his knee. So, um, yeah, that that night, you know, not taking away from Boris's performance, of course, was was sort of a sand and a little bit for for that reason. Um, uh, the, the performance by Joey Mercedes in that 2000 grand final, um, I know you mentioned Jason Johnson just got pipped by by Paul Salmon, but I think Joe's performance in that qualifying final, uh, and and I think if you um, pop down to the MCG now, David King's still running celebrations or still celebrating that first goal that he kicked in that game. But I, I think that was just about the best performance by a midfielder that that I've seen in, in my time following Essendon. He, he was unreal that day. Um, and then, you know, there was the emotion of... of Job standing up under all that pressure and and you know I think we always knew what what a good leader he was and and what a, a good leader he could have been and and I think it it really culminated in in that game he he really stood up to to a level of of leadership that that was probably unfair on on him really he carried the bur- a burden bigger than than probably any other you know recent AFL captain uh, and then you know I think we we probably forget how good a game Moorcroft had on, on that night. We, we remember it largely for the mark that he took on, on Brad Johnson, but, but he had a, a huge game that night. And yeah. And, and then we probably also forget a little bit of just how good Matthew Lloyd was at his best. So um, mate, I, I, I can't split any of them to, to be honest. And look, sorry, I've, I did overshadow, you know, Fisher's 10 game, uh, 10 goals in that game against Geelong um, where Ablett kicked 14, you know, that might be the, the best, game of footy I've been to in terms of a pure, you know, football spectacle and logging in that grand final against Carlton to cap off a pretty unreal final series. So, yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm i not sure I could pick a winner from here. It, you know, there's a case to be made for each of them. Yeah, whichever one ends up winning the tournament is is going to be a worthy winner. Uh, if, if I had to say who it would be, I, I think Job, just for that outside pressure that none of the others really have heard, had a lot of um, media, media talk about, based on his comments, but, you know, that in part that was self-inflicted for him. Joe, I would argue, even though he did go on and, and talk about what had been happening, I think that was largely unfair what he copped. Um, and he was also playing away from home in a very hostile environment. So for me, that's that's one of, that's probably the performance that I would pick out of the eight, but it's going to be up to the people voting there. Um, again, if, if you want to take part, you can do so through, through Twitter. Um, again, through my account uh, each day uh, there'll be a, a new vote there and, and it, it'll all culminate on January 31st with with the final there with the, the final two performances standing so looking forward to see how that plays out
So we're now into our third year of Don the Stat, and each year we've introduced something new. Uh, this year is is no exception, and one of the big things that we're really looking forward to is going to be the introduction of the Jack Kirby Medal, which is going to be the the Don the Stat Club Champion Award for Essendon's season. Now, Jono, you're the one who came up with the name. Can you tell the listeners who Jack Kirby was and and why his name should adorn this prestigious award? Yeah, look, this should be good fun, mate. Um, it's a, the suggestion to to sort of run an MVP type award came from our patrons, uh, you know, during last year, and and we sort of put it on the back burner, um, but we've decided to to make it happen this year, and and then we put um, put it out there to to those uh, guys and, and girls to to give us a few suggestions for the name, and uh, the Jack Kirby Medal is one that that I I did suggest and got voted in um as the favorite. So so Jack Kirby was a, a small forward who played 75 games for Essendon between 1911 and 1915. So we've gone back a while and, and then he made a comeback and played two games in in 1918 obviously in in that world uh world war uh era affected um period. He kicked 113 goals in that time and, and was a member of our 1911 and 1912 back-to-back premiership sides. But but the reason he stood out to me and um and and ultimately our patrons was he became infamous for being known or, or the first known player to kick a goal with their first kick in league footy. And he actually held that honor uh, from 1911 all the way through to 1920 when uh, Gordon Coventry, the the famous Collingwood forward, was the second player to join that that sort of prestigious club. And and you know that that club's obviously grown and grown over the years, and and there's a lot more of them. But yeah, we like an obscure stat on on Don the stat and. Uh, uh, it seemed pretty fitting to name the award after a guy who holds, uh, yeah, quite a unique one. For, for the show, what the show we do is, it, it's a very fitting name. So looking forward to seeing how that plays out. So the award's going to run across the season and voting is going to be done after each Essendon match. Uh, votes will be given in the Brownlow format so that one player gets three votes, one gets two, another gets one. Uh, the twist, though, will be that there'll be three sets of votes given for each match. So both Jono and myself will put in our own set of votes, uh, but the final set of votes will come from the Don the Stat patrons. So after each game, our patrons are going to be able to put in their 3-2-1 votes. Uh, from every patron that submits uh, their 3-2-1, we'll add it all together and then the top three uh, vote getters from that list will get the three, two, one. So each player can get a maximum of nine votes uh, across the three sources for each game. So the winner at the end of season, obviously is going to be the player that accrues the most votes. Um, We're looking at ways in which we can have a live uh, count of the votes at the end of the year to crown the winner, whether that's online or in person. I I do have some ideas. I haven't yet run by you, Jono, but uh, we've got plenty of time to, to work that out. Um, I've always got a lot of big ideas and, and Jono's um, much more of the realist in, in this situation. So um, we won't give away anything just yet, um, but we'll have more information about that towards the end of the year. So um, again, that'll all be done through the patron. Yeah, the mind does boggle, mate, at what you might have planned there. But yeah, it, it should be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, one of the great things about doing this show is that we do hear a lot of different perspectives and people watch the game in different in different ways and, and spot different things and, and look for different things from players as well. So I think we'll get a, a variety of feedback and, and it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And, and even you and I, you know, put different value on, on different kinds of things as well. So uh, yeah, it, it should be good fun. And, and, and yeah, just another way of, of looking at the game and um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who, uh, who comes out on top. Um, I do promise not to give Jai Menzi three votes every week. 
Maybe maybe we should make him ineligible so that you know it's fair for everyone. Yeah, that, that's unfair on Jai. Yeah. Well, look, speaking of Patreon, just a reminder for those that are patrons currently, uh, payments are going to be starting up again from February 1st. Um, and that also means that new patrons will be able to sign up from that date. There have been a couple of people contacting me asking why they haven't been able to join these past few months. Uh, the reason is we paused payments over the off season. We didn't think it was fair that people would pay money when they weren't receiving anything. Uh, unfortunately, with Patreon, that means that people can't sign up uh, when payments are paused. So, um, if you are one of those people who have contacted me about that, you will be able to join from February 1st. And there will be uh, something new ready to go on February 1st. I've done a, a stat explainer video. I did one last year for contested defensive one-on-ones. The one that will go live on February 1st uh, is looking at possession and chains, what they mean and what's involved with that, because it is something that we talk about, um, but it's not always obvious what it looks like and what that means. So hopefully people will appreciate that. Uh, I'm hoping to do, make more of them on, on different types of stats. There's a lot of things in the champion data glossary and the, that are referred to in, in AFL broadcasts and, and AFL media that aren't always very clear cut what they mean. So looking forward to putting a few more of those together. Um, so if you've got any ones that you would like me to look at, um, please send me your ideas. Um, as always with the patron, uh, any bonus episodes uh, are going to be released one week early for all patrons. I am working on uh, finding someone for the first one this year, but if you do have any suggestions of, of people you, you might like to hear from, uh, please send those to me so I can uh, investigate whether that would work. Yeah, you've done a great job of that video, mate. I was lucky to get a bit of a preview of it last week. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure people appreciate it. And I'm also conscious that I use a lot of vernacular as well in, in how I talk about footy. So, if at any point you're listening and you've got no idea what I'm talking about, then please do reach out and and we can, uh, yeah, either provide a, an explanation uh, online or, or we can put together a video to, to dig into it if it's something that, you know, a few people are, are asking about. So, uh, yeah, the, the, one of the, the whole... You know, reasons that we that we started this was to help demystify some of the things that are spoken about in broadcasts and media and, and bring them to life with, you know, obviously uh, Essendon at the heart of it. So, uh, yeah, more than happy to to do that if the need arises. Yeah. Well, look, turning our attention to the, the rest of pre-season, it's obviously only, 50, as we said earlier, it's only 52 days away from Essendon's round one match uh, against Hawthorne at the MCG. And as we start to see more intra-club hit outs and we start to hit those pre-season games against St Kilda and Geelong, we're going to be able to get more ideas about what uh, the Dons are going to look like in 2024 and, and what to expect. So uh, our aim is to have an episode a week come out between now and the season beginning on a, on a range of different topics. Uh, next week, once again, we're fortunate enough to have the great Rick Edwards join us to talk about what he's seen during pre-season training. So if, if you follow Rick on, on Twitter or on his Instagram, you know he's been getting down to training and sharing some great videos with the goings on and he's always got great insights. So we'll spend a lot of time talking about how the boys are looking, uh, what's changed uh, with training this year um, compared to last year, as well as some insights into our new recruits and draftees. Uh, once again, we'll, we'll be doing our best 23s. Uh, we'll be reviewing and, and previewing the, the practice matches and um, then obviously completing a season preview. Uh, we're also looking to have our first uh, Patreon uh, question and answer session for the year towards the end of February. Um, the two Q&As that we did last year were some of our favourite episodes of the season. So once again, if you, if you do want to take part in the live recording of that Q&A and, and have your questions 
asked and, and have a discussion about where Essendon's at, uh, you will need to be a, a Patreon member. But again, you can sign up from February 1st and we'll have more information about when that'll be recorded in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think we're in for an exciting year, mate, as as Don's fans. Uh, you know, if, if we can keep the, the list healthy, as we spoke about earlier, then, you know, we should be expecting to see some improvement on what we saw in 2023 under, you know, a coaching group that, that's that been bolstered in terms of resources this year and, and also a head coach who's in his second year and, and you know, a little bit more maturity maturity, sorry, um, within the list through those experienced players that we've brought into the club. So, yeah, I, I think on the field, you know, should make for an exciting year. And I think it's going to be a really exciting year of Don the Start. We've got lots of, you know, really exciting things planned and, and looking forward to to talking to lots of new people and, and you know, bringing the season to life for, for everyone as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it, mate. Yeah, me too. Well, look, short episode tonight, as, as we said at the top, it's been a pretty quiet off season. And uh, in my view, that's a good thing. Uh, but that's going to uh, wrap us up for tonight. Uh Apologies for all the Patreon members uh, mentions tonight. Um, promise that's not going to be a regular occurrence for the rest of the year. And I know that does annoy uh, some people who aren't interested in, in that stuff, but uh, we'll keep those to a minimum um, in episodes going forward. Uh, really looking forward to getting stuck into this season. I'm feeling quietly confident that it's going to be a good one. Um, as always, thanks for all your efforts tonight, Jono, getting back into it. I think we've made a few a lot less mistakes than I was expecting with our first episode. Um, but it's just good to be back recording these. Yeah, I think we've made it pretty easy on our editing team, i.e. you. Uh, but yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks for for the prep that you did as well. And yeah, I hope everyone is safe and well and, and has been enjoying the summer. Uh, it's been great to, to get back behind the mic and, and start talking footy again. Uh, we take on the Saints in our first practice match on Feb 23. So yeah, not far away now. It's sort of under a month. Um, so yeah, looking forward to seeing us play against a, an actual opposition instead of uh, just match sim and 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 um, intra clubs. So yeah, it should be good fun, mate. Out at uh, out at Marabin in four weeks' time. Yeah, well said, mate. Looking forward to seeing how the boys go in that match. Uh, that'll wrap us up. Stay safe, everyone, and go Dons. <laughs>